0: Hey guys, it's Seth. Thanks for listening. I'm happy to have you here at SethHarwood.com. When you get a chance, hop over to the Patreon page. I'm going to give you an interview in just a minute with longtime listener and supporter Steve Dave. Steve has been hosting his own podcast over at Fascination Street And he was nice enough to give me some time on his air. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Long-time listeners will hear a few repeats of information, but there's some great stuff on here about the real residents of the Young Junius Towers, my obsession with Air Jordan sneakers, and some talk about what's going on with Patreon and how I will pace the content that I'm putting out there. So, hope you enjoy. I'll be back with you soon. Hopefully when I don't sound like Shaquille O'Neal after a bad night out. And I hope you have a good roll into September.
1: So how's it going, Seth? Well, tell, tell everybody who, who are you.
0: Who you be? I'm a writer from uh, Massachusetts. I would like to associate with Cambridge, Massachusetts, although now I live out near Northampton in the middle of the state. I was in San Francisco for a long time. And I'm the writer of Jack Wakes Up, Jack Palms stories, the stories of in broad daylight, a long way from Disney, Fisher Cat and other stories, as much protein as an egg. And I've long been associated with online outreach to my readers through audio that I record myself. And Steve is one of the most awesome fans any writer could ever have.
1: Thank you. But you left out Young Junius.
0: That's true. I left out Young Junius. Oh, my God. I have crazy stories to tell you about Young Junius today.
1: Wait. Let's hear it. Well, Young Junius was a character that was in uh, Junius Ponds. Was that his name, right? Of course. And he was a character in uh, Jack Wakes Up. And... He was such a popular character that you wrote a whole nother novel just about him.
0: Yeah, is- I'm really proud of that book. He was in his 30s as a drug dealer in San Francisco in the first book. And then I ended up writing a short story that had him in it that took place in the late 80s in Cambridge, which was sort of in the area where I was growing up back then in the late 80s in Cambridge, Massachusetts. On the mean streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And
1: (laughs) I was like, mean streets. See, you guys are laughing.
0: (laughs) And I seriously caught many rations of shit for saying the mean streets of Cambridge. And a lot of people were certainly incredulous about this. But just this week, the real people of the mean streets of Cambridge, North Cambridge, where these project towers are that I wrote about in Young Junius, have all of a sudden been contacting me. The kids who grew up in those projects when I was growing up a few miles away have had a big reunion for some reason this week, this summer. and They all got together and some of them somehow knew about my book and they were talking about it at this reunion. So this week I've been hearing from them and getting messages from them on from several of them on Facebook and YouTube and places where they're finding me. And today I found out this woman who contacted me, her husband produces hip hop music from Cambridge. And he has worked with these other guys who did an album. I'm not exactly sure when this album came out, but the title of the album is Black Our Back which I think is one of the greatest things I've heard in a long time for black hip hop guys from Boston to call their album. You guys down in San Antonio don't really know the whole history of the Celtics and Red Auerbach.
1: Red Auerbach?
0: Yeah. You guys are on sort of a Greg Popovich, forever kind of thing down there. But up here we had this guy, Red Auerbach, who was sort of like genius. He was the guy. And so, He was the guy, when I was growing up, he was the guy who engineered the big three of Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and Kevin McHale. Before that, he did tons of other amazing things with the Celtics. But So I found out about this hip-hop album today, and these guys have songs called Gats. It's about guns. In the Bridge, which is really raw, rugged hip-hop, talking about the actual main streets of Cambridge. So it's real. I'm here to say it's real. And Young Junius represents that. (laughs) which for me is sort of um, writing about something that was certainly a part of my adolescence.
1: Where did you, where did you listen to this album? Where'd you get it from? It's on I
0: SoundCloud. It. I found out today that I can't buy it some, for some reason it's not on iTunes or any of those places, but through the Facebook account of this guy named Rock culprit, I found it on SoundCloud and I think he's called culprit records or something like that. But, The album is Black Hour back by Ki. Shit is slamming. Is
1: it like old school?
0: Uh, It's like old school. (laughs)
1: I'll I'll take it.
0: I don't entirely know what my alternatives are. If like if this is multiple choice and old school is one of them, I don't know what the alternatives are. But this is like old school. It's not like it was released in I think two thousand one or something like that. So shortly after the golden age of hip hop.
1: Okay. So it doesn't sound like Wiz Khalifa. It sounds more like...
0: Oh, God, no. It doesn't sound anything like Wiz Khalifa or Panda oh, sure. or any of that stuff. Sure. These are Cambridge guys. It sounds a little like Wu-Tang in some ways.
1: All right, cool. i so- guess. All right, we're on it. So you're a big Boston fan? I mean, are we going go to go the sports direction? No, what, whatever. Oh, I was just trying to say, like, how, how big of an influence is that part of the, the country, that city? Um, in writing, in, in your short story writing, and your long form, stuff like that, I mean, how, how much of it, I mean, is that why you venture out to different places like San Francisco or, or was it North Vermont, Northern part of Vermont? I, I, so do you just write stories from wherever you live? Because I, I mean, you wrote San Francisco based stories. You Were, were you in Alaska? I mean, in broad daylight, it was in Alaska. When were you there?
0: I was there for like 10 days in 2011. So basically I went there and I was like, oh, I should write. Well, no. So Alaska, like I legitimately went there. It was an awesome trip. I wanted to write something said in Alaska because it was really an astounding place that really affected me. I also wanted to write something said in San Francisco when I arrived there. There's something about when you get to a new place, you see it in a way that's different than you see the place that you grew up. So still, like to some extent, I'm understanding what Boston is in ways that I didn't understand when I was growing up. And I'm not Young Junius and the short stories are the only things that I wrote in Cambridge. But because of that, they're all sort of close to my heart in a special way. And Young Junius is the the novel that's closest to my short stories. But, you know, a couple of years later, I went to Kauai and I started writing this story with Jack Palms in Kauai. And I thought that I was just kind of doing it as a tax write-off so that I could write off this vacation, which is basically how writers exist is to um, try and write off everything that they do. Yeah, basically that's how we quote unquote make our money. So I wrote this story that had Jack Palms going to Kauai and I showed it to my friend who was doing some editing for me and he's like, this story's great. You have to keep it going. And so this is the story that wound up being the Maltese Jordans, which is what I'm doing now on Patreon, which Steve has received as one of the awesome Patreon, one of the as literally the most awesome Patreon donor, has received the entire manuscript of the Maltese Jordans. And there's like five people in the world that have read this. And two of them are not related to me. So you're in rare air there. But the thing is, so Maltese Jordans, I love because it really connected to something that's really sort of near and dear to me, which is my long-term and deeply repressed love of basketball sneakers and michael jordan era sneakers
1: okay okay so i'll stop you right there on on the on the sneaker thing and your love for jordan's there's this show on on netflix called abstract huh and it's called they're they're documentaries each episode is a different uh, documentary on a a different craft like uh someone who does street art uh, someone who does fabrics or calligraphy and letter writing for signs and stuff throughout New York City, stuff like that. Well, one of them is about the creator of the uh, Air Jordan.
0: Tinker um, Hatfield?
1: Yeah, it's it's all about him.
0: Oh, Tinker Hatfield. Yeah, uh,
1: how, oh, God. How, how he saved Nike. And uh, Jordan was about to go to, like, I think, like Reebok or something like that. Reebok was pretty big, but um, mm-hmm. he was about to go to the Reebok. Indeed, then, that's probably. Uh,
0: Well, the second Jordan wasn't happy with the second Jordan. The second Jordan was all made in Italy and they got like the guy from Ferrari or something like that to, to make this Jordan sneaker. Jordan didn't like it He actually got hurt wearing it. And so he was like ready to leave Nike. Nike brought in Tinker Hatfield to do the Jordan three and pretty much the rest is history. Tinker Hatfield is still doing all the Jordan shoes. Dude is amazing.
1: Yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't know if you've seen it, but I mean, it's, it's a pretty damn good watch. I, I was like, I was like in right when I saw like Michael Jordan, like that sign and the emblem and everything he does. I mean, that shoe like, well, there was like a leather shoe that you could wear it to as a tuxedo, but then play basketball in. But it's so <laughs> it's so badass. Have you always been a sneakerhead, Seth?
0: Well, that's the thing is that uh, I come from a family of smart white people, intellectuals, educators. And not, I wouldn't call us flamboyant with our styles or finances or whatever. And so I've always been surrounded by very rational people who would say, you know, if you have more than two pairs of sneakers that are awesome, in good shape, and basically ready to go, that you're crazy. Like you can't really have more than three, like,
1: like one of them has what's that? I said one of them has to be at least a church
0: shoe or a dress shoe or something. Oh no. The shoes shoes is- are a whole other category. But if you like, you're basically capped at like two or three pairs of clean, ready to use sneakers. That's just like a financial, like rational decision that you've had to make tops of three. And so I've always sort of pushed the boundary. But then when I started writing this book, I realized that I could buy sneakers as research and write those off. So simultaneous with that happening, all the Jordan sneakers from when I was young and couldn't afford them and didn't quite think that they fit in with my game or my style and didn't buy them. These are all being re-released constantly as retros, which the kids love and buy up like there's no tomorrow. But so simultaneously right. with me sort of opening this door, I became aware that all these sneakers are being re-released. So they're available at, at re- yeah. they're not, I mean the prices are kind of crazy, but it's retail prices at least you're not like buying them, on a thousand for a thousand dollars on eBay from some guy who's had them in his garage since 1990. Simultaneous with that, the sneakerhead thing is like literally a huge phenomenon right now. And in a place like San Francisco or New York City, you see serious game on the streets, people wearing impressive stuff. And so, yeah, sneakerhead dumb is real. And now, if you get into it, you're encountering people with like upwards of 60 or 100 clean unworn or barely worn pairs of Jordans, any fancy sneakers that could just trot out or they have closet, you know, 60 is not crazy for these people.
1: And so. I know you're a basketball fan, but a couple of years ago, this first signed LaMarcus Aldridge from Portland. I know. And when he moved here, they actually made the local news that he was building a smaller house in the backyard of his house just for his sneaker collection because there was no room big enough in the main house.
0: Oh, if you start going on YouTube and stuff, you can go down like rabbit holes of all these people's different. Yeah. There's a lot of people's sneaker closets or sneaker vault, And some of them are crazy basketball players or crazy athletes with tons of money. And some of them are sort of normal people. There's this guy in Portland who like owns some chain of uh, like tire shops. And he's got like this sick basement man cave museum quality display thing for all his Jordans. It's crazy. It's mind boggling. But there's also, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy stuff online where people are collecting this stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing. And there's online TV shows. And this guy named Babito Garcia, who when I was really into hip hop in the early nineties was doing sort of the ultimate Hip hop show in New York City with this guy, Stretch Armstrong. They had like all the awesome independent hip hop on their show, and people would come in there and freestyle on the air all the time. And it was just amazing. Like, this was the show to listen to nationwide. And so he actually wound up writing a piece for Slam Magazine that was called Confessions of a True Sneaker Addict or something like that. And he went on to write a book. Where Did You Get Those, which is all about sort of sneakerhead and sneaker co- sneakerhead stuff and collecting sneakers in New York City when you had to like go all over the city to find specific things that other people couldn't find. And it's just, there's an amazing culture around sneakers. And so really sort of opening myself up to that while I was writing this book as a form of research that I love, it really just sort of energized me to get involved in this project, the Maltese Jordans. It's literally the best thing I've ever written.
1: It's fantastic. How how did you get hooked up with Patreon? Well, tell everybody what Patreon is and then how you got hooked up with it.
0: Have you had a chance to read the whole manuscript? I have. You have? I have. Oh, no spoilers. (laughs) No spoilers. Literally, you're like one of the five. Thank you. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, you said it yourself. It's one of the best things you've ever written.
0: It's the best thing I've ever
1: written. See? (laughs) So in, in your research of, of these of these shoes, what, what trophy uh, pair of sneakers do you currently
0: own? They call them grails. There's all this language also that I found out. Like I, was, I started going to this sneaker store near me in San Francisco. And at one point, this guy, I was buying this pair of sneakers the day that they came out. And I had actually like given up on getting them in the store. So I had bought them online and then I went into the store anyway, just to see them. And because I wear a size 14, they still had that pair and hadn't raffled them off or sold them. And so I was able to like get them in the store and look at them. And I literally was like, kind of wanted to buy them even though that would end up with me having two pairs of these. And this guy was standing there and he's like, well, you could just buy one to, you could just dead stock these and then wear the other ones. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy just used dead stock as a verb. I know what he means. (laughs) And it was just like, it was awesome. I was like, for like a writer word nerd to like get into this whole world of crazy vocabulary and like figure it out and like, yeah, like, oh, of course. Yeah. I'll just dead stock those. It's like, Oh no, he said DS. It's cr- anyway crazy. It's like, Oh, you could just DS that pair. It's like, Oh my God. I actually know what that guy's talking about. So the ones that were kind of a grail for me was, um, so the year 1996, this is the first full year that Jordan is back after after his first retirement when he had the whole baseball fiasco he comes back from that retirement partway through the 95-96 season drops 55 in the garden wears 45 and loses to the Orlando Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals in the playoffs doesn't get to the finals and he's wearing the Jordan 10s i think At some point that year in the playoffs, he starts wearing the 11s. But basically, the 96-97 season is when they have Rodman, Pippen, Jordan. 72 wins, best record ever until the Warriors broke it last year. Arguably the best team ever in basketball. That whole season, he wears the Jordan 11s, which to many is the number one top best sneaker ever created by Tinker Hatfield and the best Jordan. And so for a long time, my... Grail or the thing that I wanted to get is a high top Jordan 11. I got a low top pretty early on, but when Jordan was playing, they never had the low top. So it took me a while to get a high top Jordan 11. I got one a year ago Christmas and these were called, um, I forget what they were called, but they, they weren't the greatest. They weren't like the greatest for me. It was like a different quality of leather and underneath the, the thing that I like about the 11s is that they kind of look like spats, which is like back in the flapper days, the guys would wear like patent leather shoes with sort of paper over them underneath their pants. So it would look like there was patent leather and then this white and then their pants. And so the 11s look like that because they have patent leather around the bottom. Also, the 11s are the, the sneaker that Alan Iverson wore when he was at Georgetown. He was wearing Nikes. And he's just ridiculous at Georgetown. But anyway, so the high top 11s, there was no low top when Jordan was playing. Now they have low top 11s. I got a pair called the Infrared
1: 23.
0: low 11? (laughs) low 11 Infrared 23s. And I was like out to dinner the night that I got them. And I was wearing them. And this waiter who I had like some guy who I totally doesn't know. He works at the restaurant. It was like very homespun soul food restaurant in downtown San Francisco. And this guy just like walks by our table. He's like, he just said, I like those 11 lows. And this person that I was sitting with had no idea what he was talking about. And I was like, that is sneakerhead knowledge there. And that's why I love this book. Because there's like a whole subculture that's very much in your face, but you don't realize it, but it's totally there. So the high top 11s, I got these um last Christmas, they came out with the space jams. I got those, which is like a nice, mostly black high top uh, 11 with some blue highlights on them. And these are the ones that Jordan wore in the original Space Jam with Bugs Bunny and all that crap. I love
1: that movie.
0: I've never even (laughs) seen that movie. When it came out, I was like, this is some BS. Now they're remaking it with LeBron. But anyway, yeah, I've never seen it. I think it's probably some (laughs) BS.
1: But anyway. That'd be cool as shit if they got Bill Murray again. And he sure. Well, what else is he? What's he got to do better than that? He just wanders around and fucking surprises people at their wedding and shit. That guy's weird. Oh, he I, think he, I think you
0: could bank on him showing yeah. up in the remake of Space
1: Jam. Back then, I had a little kid, and it was his favorite movie. So I've oh, actually yeah. seen that movie 50 times. Yeah. Wow. That
0: was the Can thing for me up? is that I was in college <laughs> then, graduating from college. I was a little bit out of college. It definitely was too cool to go watch a movie with Bugs Bunny. I definitely didn't have a kid that I could take to it. So I just was wrong age group for that. So the high 11s are my grail. And the shoes that Jordan wore the most that season are red and black, high top 11s. And those are called breads for black and red. And those I would like to get. But if I were to try and buy those now, they would cost me like 500 bucks. And if I wait, then they'll be re-released at some point in the next number of years in a
1: high, and I'll
0: try and get them then.
1: I liked those leather ones. Like they, they had like the the red sole. It was like kind of like a see-through sole, and then it was like a black leather across it, and then like red. Like it was red and black. It was it was, it was fucking badass. When they re-release them, are they the same quality as the original?
0: This is a controversial question. Uh most people would say no. Nike would say that recently, according to Nike, in the last year or so, they started raising the quality of them to get back to the leathers that they were using when they re- when they initially released them. Which is kind of them saying like, "Oh yeah, we're now admitting that we've been using crap for these." Probably not, but arguably, according to Nike, yes. But I don't know. They also have like these ones that are premium I bought this pair of premium Jordan threes, the gingers, those have the gum sole. And those are supposed to be like super fancy leather. And they look amazing. They they look like a baseball mitt turned into a Jordan, but I took them to this like shoemaker guy. And I was like, can you just tell me like, what's the quality of this leather? Like how much do you think this shoe is worth? And he's like, this is garbage. So that was nice. <laughs> but they think, look cool. They look cool and they're amazing. The thing about these shoes is that it's kind of like a car. Like as soon as you drive, drive it off the lot, the value of it decreases so much. So you end up with these shoes in boxes that you sort of love. But at any moment, you could just decide like, you know what? I'd rather have $200 right now. I'm going to sell this shoe. Or I'd rather, you know, $200 to $400. You could just be like, you know what? I'd rather just sell this shoe. And so I've done that. And then I have other ones like these high top 11s where it's like, I love the idea of having them on my feet, but combination of, I don't know if I have a day that's fabulous enough to break them out. Or it's like, if I just break them out to like go to the park or walk around the block or something, then immediately like the value has plummeted. So there's this whole thing. It's like, you end up with these ones and you're like,
1: Hmm, I don't
0: know if I can wear these. What I do is put them on a shelf go on Patreon, make a video where they're in the background and people can see them, and then I feel good.
1: <laughs> All right, let, let's get away from sneakers and talk about your writing career and you.
0: Let's talk about Patreon. Let me just, I didn't, I totally blew off that right. question because I was in the sneakers.
1: Oh cool, yeah, do it. So what is Patreon? This is, but you can see, them. like, this
0: is the passion. Like, if you follow your passion and write the book that you need to write, it winds up being a better book, but it might not sell or make you money or I don't know. Young Junius, I think, is the best book that I've published so far and it's sold less than anything else. But these people in Cambridge are talking about it 40 years later at a at a cookout. So, fucking hey, That's good.
1: Hell yeah.
0: I'll send those people <laughs> a free copy.
1: <laughs> what? Shit, yeah. <laughs> well, you can send all of them one free copy to share.
0: Yeah. I'll do it. Um, so, when I started Before I was publishing, I started releasing my stuff as serialized audio as a podcast. And I loved that, partly because it enabled me to interact with technology, which it turns out I'm kind of good at, and because it allowed me to connect with readers. And I found out that I'm not the kind of writer who just sort of is good sitting in an ivory tower and only staring at the page all day and not connecting with people. So to put out the audio helped me connect with people across the country and around the globe who liked my stories and wanted more of them. And I really loved that interaction. So I thought that the end game of podcasting was to get published by a big publisher because I wanted to make money off of my writing. And it turns out that big publishers aren't really so good at that all the time. They're not really great at that anymore. So I went that route for a while. I did the thing where I just write the books and put them out in stores. And now Essentially, Mike Bennett came to me and said, hey, I'm doing Patreon, making the podcast and connecting with an audience again. And this is a way that you can monetize it. So you should do Patreon. And I checked it out and, you know, I did Kickstarter a while back and that was great. But it's basically a ton of work to just do like one funding moment. It's a lot of work around just like one moment of money. And so the thing about Patreon is that it's subscription-based. It allows people to subscribe for the stuff that I'm putting out. It allows me to get back to putting out my audio content. I love that. And I love getting to give people the audio of the Maltese Jordans without even thinking about, you know, where is this going to show up as a book? Who's going to publish this? Is it what form is it going to be in? Blah, blah, blah. What stores? I just, you know, connecting with readers and listeners through the audio. I love that. You know, it's great that we've been able to develop a relationship through that. I'll do your voicemails or whatever you want. Like it's, you know, it's just been really fun to sort of go on that ride and be like, I email you or send you through Patreon something that's like 250 pages to have the, the ability to do that and have someone that I've never met out there in San Antonio read it and love it. That's really great as a writer.
1: Hey, you want to ask something funny? You, you mentioned uh, leaving your voicemail for people. Yeah. um my the the password for my voicemail is still 5509 from when I, I set that password up for you to leave my voicemail back in 09 right right before single to hardwood
0: yeah you realize so you have so to my change that is, now right
1: <laughs> well no nobody has my phone number but
0: you just uh, said on the podcast <laughs> you just said yeah, the, the, podcast like the podcast. password for your voicemail
1: number. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, still, <laughs> you know, after all these years, it's still five five oh nine. That's awesome. I was telling my wife that the other day, and it blew me away.
0: That blows me away. Yeah, <laughs> five five oh nine. I have these weird little like Twitter avatar pictures that had like a gun and five five oh nine on them.
1: <laughs> yeah. A G M So I yeah.
0: Pretty much within a day of this podcast coming out. Someone will have hacked your voicemail and left dirty messages. Can't wait.
1: So what led you into writing?
0: That's a great question. When I was little, I used to play with G.I. Joes. And when I was playing with them, I would be like making up all these stories and like imagining that these stories were playing out. And at the end, I would always be like, I wish I had like written that down or something. Like Someone would think that story was really cool. And so I tried to write a couple of times when I was really young. And in fourth grade, I wrote this story with this kid who had like a dragon and some knives and swords and stuff. And my teacher wanted to like send it to a magazine to get it published. Like we sent it in and the magazine said it was too violent. And that was my first rejection in fourth grade.
1: At fourth grade? In fourth grade?
0: In fourth grade. (laughs) Not only was that my first rejection, but that was... The last time that anyone was like, "This stuff is great. We should send it out to get it published." <laughs> oh, that's
1: bullshit. Do you still have that letter,
0: Miss Harper? um I don't even think there was a letter. I think there was just like word of mouth that they're like. Bleh. I don't think so.
1: <laughs>
0: this was like back in the day when I was like sending them, like, like to send in this story involved me like mailing in the thing that I had written on construction paper or like written on line paper and then bound in construction paper with a cover that I like made by cutting out letters from other colors of construction paper. Yeah, who knows what happened. But it was
1: just like Oh did a fourth grader like this? They're like, yeah. (laughs) Well now I'm mad. Can can you can you uh It might have been Oh well there you go. Can you write out all of the Maltese Jordans on construction paper and send it to me,
0: please? No, I can't. But what I can do is there are other things that I wrote before the dragon story, even before, you know, it's crazy to trace this stuff all the way back. Like before I could write, I had a babysitter that would like write down the stuff that I would tell her and we would make books and I would illustrate them she would like write down everything that, that I was saying. And so I have this book that's like Seth and the monster or something like that, that I wrote before I could even read. And the babysitter like wrote down the stuff. And that was another construction paper project. Construction paper press was big in my early years. So at a recent point in my life, my uh, parents are basically like, we have to get all your stuff out of our house because we want to move be uh flexible or Construction just wanna, table
1: everywhere. <laughs> we just want to
0: empty out our house so now we're going to start sending all this crap to you so now like i have these folders that's like here's the story that i wrote when i was four here's the story that i wrote when and so now like i have all this stuff masked up and it's like to some extent, i've always written someone gave me a journal early on and i wrote this whole story about these aliens hiding behind a barn Uh, and I just like, I always thought that writing was really cool. My father was a professor of anthropology and he had written a couple of books and I was like, dad, you should just write mysteries. That would be awesome. Forget about these textbooks or anthropology. You should just write some mysteries and he never did it. And so I think like on some level I just wanted to grow up and then do it. And I, I sort of always thought that this would lead to riches as like a forty-three-year-old, I'm now coming to grips with the, the likelihood that that might not be true. I don't
1: know, man. You get free trips to Kauai. That's that's pretty
0: cool. Free is generous. You're using the word "free" in a very <laughs> generous way there.
1: When someone actually
0: pays me to fly to Kauai and says, like, "Oh, we're shooting, we're filming your thing in Kauai and we'd like you to come out." or we would like to give you more than a bus ticket to the town next to you. Then, um, (laughs) actually last year, you know, a friend of mine is teaching creative writing at the university of Hawaii and the university of Hawaii flew me out to do like a guest lecturer thing. So that was pretty effing awesome. They flew me to Hawaii and gave me a stipend for being there for a week. That was freaking awesome. That was like a highlight of my writing career as well. That's awesome. It was crazy because I flew from Boston and I was so jet lagged the whole time that I was there. Every day I woke up at like 5 AM or something and just like stumbled around. I was staying on the campus in this weird campus hotel and I would wake up and just stumble around campus before anyone else was awake and then basically drink coffee until it felt like my face was going to melt. And then I would like go back and just (laughs) hide in my hotel room sleeping until they forced me to come out and, talk to students or something
1: wow sounds like you made the most of it
0: (laughs) it was surreal yeah i totally made the most of that yeah it was awesome oh but no i did some cool things when i was there it was good it was really good i didn't climb a volcano but i did do a (laughs) yoga class i did a yoga class in hawaii where i got to hang upside down from the ceiling
1: from a volcano wow dude that's awesome. You're yeah, I was upside down, hanging upside like
0: down mountain. in a volcano doing yoga and riding a hoverboard at the same time.
1: It was it was a hot yoga, right? What is it called? What is it called? Heat yoga? Bikram. It's called Bikram yoga.
0: I will solemnly swear that I have never done a Bikram yoga class. The rooms for those There's things terrible.
1: Yeah.
2: You go that's in there and that. that's
0: some funk.
1: Fuck working out.
0: <laughs> but the Patreon oh, thing is... But so... So the financial piece is like the Patreon thing is like, if I can get back to doing the podcast and get the Patreon piece and bring back the listeners that I used to have for the podcast and get them onto Patreon, then I could make Mike Bennett money and I could, you know, basically fund some more writing projects and some Patreon stuff. So the goal and the plan is to release the Maltese Jordans, uh, at a pretty slow pace. I kind of want to speed up the pace, but we should talk about that. I have a question for you. And then I want to roll into um, releasing as much protein as an egg through Patreon, which I think is a heck of a fun book.
1: I think that is a fun book. You sent that to me when I was living in Kentucky. Uh, I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's about writing. It's about metafiction. It's about being a dad. It's about copulating. It's about golf. It's good. It's a good. It's about coffee. It's a good read. I I think that's fun. So I'm looking forward to podcasting that. I'm mean, I'm really excited about podcasting the Maltese Jordans. But the thing is, and here's a question for you, Steve. Like back in the day, I was doing an episode a week, and that was hard. But it sort of had this awesome kind of frenetic momentum about it that really pulled me through in kind of a lot of excitement through the book and I think really pulled in a lot of the listeners and fans as well. Now I'm older, I have a kid and so I want to do it in a more managed way. And it seems like the audience is willing to go with one episode a month, but I kind of feel like if I could do more than that, it would sort of ramp up the, the excitement a little bit. What do you think?
1: I think it would. I don't, I don't think every week is necessary. I don't think that's even conceivable with, with a four year old. Um, but I think you could probably do every two weeks. You could probably squeeze that into your schedule, but I do agree that it would ramp up excitement and interest because it's a super exciting story. And even though I read it, I love listening to you read it. And so if I'm going to be honest, it kills me to wait a whole month for the next, yeah. for the next episode.
0: It's funny to me though that people are base but, Yeah. So I hear you. And also people are saying like, we sort of expect like once a month now, like it used to be that Sigler was like pioneering the way and he would never take a week off. And so all of us were like killing ourselves. I think like the advantage of doing once a month is the pace is more manageable, but also it means that with this book that I've already written, I have content for like a year and a half or at least a year. Um, But yeah, like I want to ramp up the excitement. Like I want to loop in and get the word of mouth going to make it wider, to pull back in all the folks that, um, that used to be involved. But it's hard. I think, but it's hard. But I also think if I could do like maybe once every three weeks or once every two to three weeks, I could try
1: that. I'm thinking you do it twice a month, like in the 15th and 1st kind of thing.
0: If I'm being honest, I don't think I could do that. But if even if I did it once every three weeks, that's an improvement, right?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And what if I, mean, I also integrated in like the new remastered Jack Wakes Up episodes or Triad Deathmatch or In Broad Daylight?
1: I think those are, that's a great idea. I don't think you should do both of them. I think you should probably only have two stories going at once, you know, just so that The listeners not super confused about which one is this one what's happening right here well it well Um, deathmatch
0: is only like five episodes so I would just like pop that out but if I was doing like if I was doing Maltese Jordans and one throwback and I was doing like three episodes say three episodes a month or four episodes a month of those two items what do you think would that be hard to
1: follow only if your throwback is to Jack uh because then we're going to get confused. We're going to be like, "Wait, I thought he was in. I thought he was in San Francisco. Wait, what's happening?" But if your throwback, if your throwback is either Disney or uh, In Broad Daylight, I, I think that's manageable. I do Broad Daylight because it's a girl. It's in Alaska. It's wildly different, and so it won't be confusing.
0: That's interesting. I like that. And so what? So if I'm able to do Let's say if I'm able to do an episode of the Maltese Jordans every three weeks, what would you build in in terms of in broad daylight, in terms of like
1: monthly? What do you mean, like how often? Yeah. Well, I'm greedy, so I'm thinking as often as your schedule will allow.
0: But in broad daylight isn't a lot of work to put those back out. So, like, do you think like one a month, two a month, one every three weeks? Because I could do this, like we could flip a switch and I start re-releasing in broad daylight Monday or next week or something.
1: Right.
0: I've got um, all the files; they're ready to go. I just put. I could start putting them in. But what would be a good pace, and what would make sense to make it not confusing?
1: Uh, no, no more than two releases a month. You know, one one of each. I think you should just do one of each per month. However, you want to work that. I like you know, it. If you're doing one every three weeks. Then I don't know. Do one every week and a half or two weeks or whatever but everybody who's on there is just playing hungry hungry hippo trying to get more content from you and so i think that i think releasing all the older stuff is a fucking phenomenal idea because i mean there's a reason that i've been a fan for all these years and it's because your writing is really good it's interesting it's easy to follow i mean you can't put it down i think it's great i love it i was so excited when you decided to do patreon and um, I think that the people that are on there are just greedy for more, more hardwood words, more hard words.
0: I feel, thank you. I feel bad that I missed the beginning of August, but I just sort of needed a vacation.
1: Well, I mean, and the important thing is that you communicated that you let everybody know so that everybody just wasn't sitting there going, whatever happened to that one thing that was, what yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you, you sent out a communication and that's all anybody really wants is to know what's going on.
0: Yeah. So the other thing was, when I first came back on Patreon, I was doing Jack Wakes Up and putting those out. But I kind of put it down because I realized, like, if I'm going to put out Jack Wakes Up again and keep it on Patreon or have it on Patreon, I don't want to do it. I want to do it in a better audio quality than what I had before. And so I stopped. And now I've got those remastered. But I could start rolling out In Broad Daylight. Yeah, like, if I did, like an episode of Maltese Jordans every three weeks and staggered with in broad daylight so that you get two
1: episodes every three weeks. I think that's great. And they're completely different stories with completely different characters, yeah. completely different uh, locations. I
0: mean, yeah. This is good. I'm You're helping a, you me know, figure I mean, this out.
1: They're wildly different content. Yeah. And yeah. I like,
0: I like the idea of doing the, um, the short stories but to be honest with you, well, if I'm going to do the short stories and start re-releasing those, I want to make sure that I have all of those in the audio content quality that I want
1: uh, and then do it. Is that my Disney? Yeah. Okay. So while we're on that, uh, everybody who's listening, uh, the first three people who hit me up on Twitter at, at Steve Dave 47, I will send the first three people to do that. An autographed copy of A Long Way From Disney. Autographed by Seth, not by me.
0: Wow, you have those autographed by me? Wow. Yes, I do. Isn't there one of my books that you have like 10 extra copies of?
1: I'm pretty good about buying about 10 of all of your books. I love you. But still, I still have left a few copies of Disney, A Long Way From Disney, and a few copies of um, In Broad Daylight. Everything else, I pretty much just have one copy of. Well, I have a couple of copies of Jack. The original
0: Jack bombs. Me too. Yeah. Well, that's a great <laughs> giveaway. I really appreciate that. That's awesome.
1: Well, my so you should
0: give them your Twitter password too while you're at it. This
1: guy five five zero nine.
0: It's Alex Hernandez oh seven.
1: There it is. Right.
0: Yeah. So that's awesome. So you're going to give away three copies of A Long Way from Disney signed by me to the first three people who hit you on Twitter.
1: Yes, at it's Steve, Steve Dave. 47.
0: That's awesome. That's really awesome of you. You know, also, I'm doing an interview with Debbie Mack. Uh, she's got a podcast thing, and and I'm doing an interview with her. And part of the interview for that, uh, I'm giving away the first episode of the Maltese Jordans to some people who write in on that. So anyone who's listening to this podcast now, who what do they have to do? At me or message me? They can't message me unless I'm following them, right?
1: Well, you're on, are you on Instagram?
0: Not really.
1: Okay, yeah. Then they can just at you on Twitter.
0: Are you stunting on the gram? Am I what? Are you stunting on the gram?
1: <laughs> oh, is this more uh, lingo? Yeah, is this sneaker lingo? I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about.
0: I think that's what the kids um, say. Like, if you take pictures of your fresh styles and post them on Instagram, it means that you be stunting. I don't. One.
1: I don't have fresh styles, so I'm out.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, if you have a style that appears fresh or you just want to stunt your styles, whatever they are, you could take a picture and then put that on Instagram and post it. What else do you put on? What do you put on Instagram?
1: Food. Yeah, mostly food. Oh, you?
0: Oh. Your food stunt. Uh, I
1: put all kinds of things on Instagram. I put... Um, yes, for suggestions food. on where to hide things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so back to what you were saying, you were saying that anybody who... If, who contacts you or hits you up on Twitter at Seth Harwood Guess
0: what? Anyone who hits me up on Twitter from this podcast at Seth Harwood, if you follow me, I will message you a link for you to download the first episode of the Maltese Jordans free from my Dropbox so that you can listen to it and try out the Maltese Jordans free and if you like it, you can go on Patreon at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood and subscribe and then get all the episodes of the Maltese Jordans and In Broad Daylight that Steve and I have just figured out an awesome schedule of distribution for.
1: Um, what are the different levels on Patreon?
0: So the basic level is the $3 level. And at the $3 level, you get all the new audio that comes out. So $1 level, I tell you that you're awesome and I pat you on the back,
1: figuratively.
0: (laughs) $3 level, you get all the new audio and then it goes up from there. The God level is where Steve is at. The $5 level is you get early. No, at $10, you get like the text. So the audio of episode five hasn't been released yet but I have released the text of episode five. So if you're in at the $10 level, you get the stuff early uh, and you can submit questions for Q and A's. One of these days, I'm going to start these uh, monthly office hours where I talk to people on Zoom for this, kind of like we're doing now. Uh, $25, you get to beta read a story or part of a novel once a year. Personalized video message. Then there's signed copies at the $40 level. Fifty dollars, you can study with me, and I will read your work uh, to critique it. I teach creative writing online for Harvard and Stanford, so I've got some chops uh, when it comes to teaching ye old creative writing. So, if you want me to read your stuff and talk to you about it, you can get in at the higher levels of that. But basically, if you come on Patreon and jump in at the three-dollar level, three dollars a month, you're paying less than a latte you are really doing something awesome to help support what I'm doing on there. Right now on Patreon, I have 60 people. Uh, The number goes up and down a little based on whose credit cards get declined in a given month. But, um, you know, 60 patrons in the first whatever number of months, I haven't been doing this for a long time. It means a lot to me. I really like it right when I see new people coming on there.
1: So is there a limit to how many uh, papers can be submitted to you in a month's time? Or is it just a sort of, cause you said there's a $50, um, what is it? You pay $50 a month and you do like a proofread of uh, someone's work and you got, and then you guys go over it. So is there a limit to how many papers can be submitted to you in a month's time?
0: You mean like if a hundred of your friends like sign up at the $50 level, am I going to start kicking them
1: out? No, not necessarily. Just,
0: Uh, from the one person. Oh, one person, one a month. One a month, okay. Yeah, one person, one a month at the $50 level. Oh, at the $50 level, I do like assignments for people. I sort of like co-opt some of my assignments from Harvard and Stanford and I give them to you uh, and you do a 500 word assignment and then I read those and respond. Uh, At $75, it's up to 2,500 words per month.
1: Like you, you can write my paper for
0: that? <laughs> like that kind of thing? That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, a hundred and up is even more than that. And if, if I you know, if I'm doing my editing professionally for this, uh the hourly rates for these are are a bit higher. So um, you know, it's kind of a deal. But the thing is, like, there's a sort of a, a mix between the people who are the people who are on Patreon for me are mostly here for the fiction and not for some of them want to be writers, some of them want the teaching, but a lot of them are here for the fiction. And so the Patreon on that level with the high end stuff is sort of uh, kind of of two minds. I want to figure that out and get it straightened out as I go forward. I think the editing stuff is going to kind of yield to some more writing based things. You know, there's a woman on Patreon who really, it makes a lot of sense. Like her thing is set up where like, whatever you pay, you get the same thing, but it's like, You know, $3 you're buying her a coffee, $5 you're buying her, $10 you're buying her lunch, $25 you're buying her dinner, $100 you're like paying for a night of her hotel or something, and then sort of like that. (laughs) What?
1: Nothing. No, just the way you were explaining it, it just made me think of something else. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, what do you get for $500 in your mind?
1: (laughs) That's where I was going. That's where I was like. What else can you go like? How how yeah. high is like too high? How <laughs> high does this thing go? <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the she link to her Patreon
0: page, and you can see. But it's basically like whatever you do, like you are um, getting the same thing, but like you're sort of giving more, and um, you know, because ultimately, I don't have that many things to offer. One of the cool things was when I did Kickstarter, I offered all these people to uh have a character in one of my pieces named after them and then it was great because when i was writing and i had to come up with a new character i would just go to this excel spreadsheet and be like okay who's up next oh i don't like that name and just like pick a name that felt good
1: no you're just like oh right you're like oh i like Alex's name. i'm a jerk yeah this Yeah, in one of his books he says uh,
0: what one character is talking about, oh, you sent me that. Yeah, I did. Say you
1: did that.
0: You I did that to <laughs> everybody. <laughs> that was everyone pays, right? Yeah. Yeah. These hookers
1: did are talking about Dirty Comp was
0: trying to shake them down. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. man, that guy, he's the worst. But there was another guy I felt bad because I named this other character after one of my readers. And then due to uh, changes in the demographics of who I needed that character to be. I then later had to change the name of that character. So it was, I sort of, it took, I gave and then took away. It was an unfortunate set of circumstances, but I had to be true to something about the city that I was trying to represent with. Well, there was a church. And so the, I found out that all the people who were priests there mostly were from Korea. And so then I had to change the guy's name. Um, But yeah, so that's how the Patreon works. And uh, if you go on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood, there's a video right there. And if I'm looking at the video uh, in the background right there, when it pops up, I can see all the sneakers that we were talking about at the beginning. You got the ginger fours right there. The threes that the guy wanted me to DS one pair of. Then there's the 11s. Uh, another pair of fours and a pair of all wool threes, the mucklock specials.
1: Did you say all wool? All wool. Wood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a pair of sneakers that the I've clog. seen that's made out of that like cork that they make cork boards out of. But I didn't buy
1: them. They do. Them. They have some shoes like that.
0: I know. I didn't buy Good. them. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but I don't have any but I also saw some sneakers <laughs> that were like made out of, you know, those composition notebooks with the weird black and white cover on them.
1: Yeah.
0: They had some yeah. sneakers that had that pattern on them. And I liked that. I wanted those.
1: Like like, the, like bands. Like, don't bands have
0: that? No, I don't know. I think they do. Look on the internets. But um, mm-hmm. I'm strictly about the, uh, yeah. So, but I still have less than 10 pairs. So I, I maintain that badge of sanity.
1: So did
0: you or did you not ds that pair i did not ds that pair i stuck with only one pair the ones that i saw in the store i did not purchase i waited for the ones to come in the mail that i had already bought that morning and to this day oh but then yeah so then gone. i did buy um one other pair there was that pair that came out that was the 7210s that came out, they were the high top 11s, the Christmas before the last one. I bought two pairs of those and sold one on um, Craigslist to a guy who was a checker at uh, Safeway near my house in San Francisco. And this guy already had a pair, and he was going to pay someone to take this second pair and somehow remove the sole and take the white sole and dye it black and then stick it back on. So that he would have a pair that was different than everyone else's.
1: You can also ruin them, but yeah. <laughs> well, this guy sounds fiscally irresponsible.
0: That's a good point.
1: I mean, it's not like he's a a mogul, a media mogul. He's a checker at Safeway, and he's got. He must be living with his mom. That sounds like too much loot. <laughs>
0: There was another guy that bought this pair of sneakers that I had. So I I had this pair that I had actually tried on. And I made the mistake of thinking that if I had tried them on, they were still dead stock because I hadn't really worn them. But I just tried them on in the store. And then I was like, I like these. So I bought them. I got them home. And I was like, I can't have these. So I sold them. And this guy online bought them for $400. Decided that they weren't dead stock because he could tell that I had tried them on in the store. And uh, and I was like, all right, I'll just buy them back. I'll send you your money. I'll pay for the shipping, all that. And He's like, no. And like in a text message, he said, like, I'm not going to worry about it. The universe got me. He's like, karmically. So basically, he gave them to the Boys and Girls Club. He gave away a $400 pair of sneakers to the Boys and Girls Club. And I was like, well, you know that you could deduct that on your taxes, right? He's like, I'm not going to worry about it. The universe got me. What the fuck does that mean? It means karma, baby. And then he Mm -hmm. showed me a picture of his closet. Do you guys know this Louboutin brand or whatever?
1: Yeah, they got red soles, right?
0: They got red soles, and they're mostly women. But they have sneakers that cost... A thousand dollars, and he had a whole closet full of them. And he had a whole, <laughs> and he had a whole bunch of these Jordan fours oh, that were like four hundred dollars. Yeezys, forget about it. There was a pair of Kanye Yeezy Red Octobers, which were like super rare because in between when they made them, ugly
1: shit.
0: <laughs> in between when they made them and when they came out, Kanye left Nike. So Nike just like sold off whatever they had in stock in a minute and then they were gone. And so there was this guy who went to a sneaker conference in New York City. He was like under the age of 20 and he had a pair of signed Yeezys, Red October, in a glass case signed by Kanye. And someone offered him, this was in the New York Times, someone offered him $97,000 for the sneakers and he didn't sell them.
1: Was it Yeezy that offered him that money? (laughs)
0: it was not easy (laughs) it was not actually easy but yeah this dude like didn't sell them for $97,000 and for Jordans like the game there's a a pair of sneakers that he wore in a famous NBA Finals game against the Jazz known as the flu game and those just sold out for like 110
1: 110? he he had 104 temperatures no, no sold it also for hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I have yeah. a, a penny Hardaway shoe, the sign. Is that is that worth anything? It, what color is it? Which one is it? It's it's only the played one? one. No, it's purple. It's when he played for oh. the Suns. The Suns. Yeah, that's all I was gonna say. That's my grail. I want that penny Hardaway shoe. The point point point. When he played for Magic. Yeah, yeah but one? I just have one. Mine, yeah.
0: Who is that, Alex or it's Steve? Steve,
1: I, it's I just a one shoe.
0: It's only one right.
1: shoe? Yeah, it's just the left shoe.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> How does it smell?
1: Uh, I didn't smell it. it. was Actually, it was game worn in a, a playoff game against the Spurs in which the Spurs went on to win the championship that year. How did you end uh, up with that a, item? My wife worked at a hospital, and one of her employees was one of Penny Hardaway's old bodyguards. And so when Penny Hardaway came to town, play, uh he got we got Penny hardaway seats. It was when he was like the heat. <laughs> but through that guy through that guy I got the shoe and then I got a, a Penny Hardaway New York New York Knicks jersey game worn. It's not it's game worn. And he was, the, he uh, was on him. the Knicks? Yeah, it was last year, right? He was on the Knicks. I don't Ooh, was, You guys are serious Penny Hardaway fans. No, not at all. <laughs> but, I mean, he was super cool and then when I met him he autographed his uh uh, I had bought a, a Miami Heat hat, and he autographed it. So I have, <laughs> I have Suns, Knicks, and Heat, Penny Hardaway.
0: <laughs> when well, he autographed the hat, did he let you keep the whole hat, or did he cut it in half? <laughs> I love the fact that you have one shoe. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, just one.
0: <laughs> there was a thing online that this baseball player came to this basketball camp that one of the guys on the Celtics now was putting on and the baseball player gave the basketball player a pair of Jordans. That's a nice pair of Jordans that the baseball player signed. Now, why would you ever sign? like the fact that he is giving him, like if I'm going to give you a pair of Jordans, probably you might want to wear them, but why would you sign? Anyway, it was super weird. The guy signed this pair of Jordans and then gave them. But I want a picture of that yeah, one it's, Penny it's, Hardaway it's, that you have. Penny Hardaway sneakers, certain Penny Hardaway sneakers are getting retroed all over the place. Like I would say after Jordan, the Hardaway retros, they're called foam posits. They're like mostly plastic or some sort of weird foam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're,
1: they're, they're original ones. I don't know what they can
0: have. Yeah, can the own. kids on the street are crazy about those. The foam posits, the kids like that. That's the number one Penny oh. sneaker. Yeah, send me a picture. I want to see that. I'll post it on Patreon. Right. I'll put that on the gram.
1: Sure. I'll do that. Yeah, hit the I All that. Right, well, uh, I'm sure it's really late where you are. It's kind of yeah. late where we are. It yeah. helps me to put his to bed.
0: This is the longest so, podcast I've ever
1: done. You're yeah. welcome. I'm sorry. but uh, yep. uh, That was a compliment. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. We set a record. woo <laughs> <laughs> uh, Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on um, the, grams and the, the grams and the
0: tweets and the tweets and the Facebooks or and the dot com. on. The on on Twitter I'm at Seth Harwood. On Facebook I am uh, Facebook slash Seth Harwood. Or the things that you want are the author <laughs> pages Facebook.com slash Seth, author Seth Harwood. The real website is Seth Harwood.com. And the main thing that I want everyone to go visit is patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. If you hit me on Twitter at Seth Harwood, I will send you the link to the Dropbox thing to download the first episode of the Maltese Jordans. And if you go to <laughs> sethharwood.com and hang around for a while, uh, the first chapter of the Maltese Jordans will appear there free soon, one of these days. I like
1: that. All right, cool. Well, then, so I'm going to hit you up in just a few minutes
0: fair enough tomorrow i will go on instagram i will go on did i say instagram or twitter just stunt me on the gram no i'm just kidding go tomorrow i'll go on twitter and everyone who's added me with the code hashtag steve dave 47 voicemail password 5509 uh hit you right back with the, uh, <laughs> if you've actually, if you actually are not Steve or Alex and you've listened this far through the podcast and you, um, hit me on Twitter at Seth Harwood, uh, and give the message blue turtle, I will mail you a free book.
1: Yeah, she can wait till next week, she's getting a whole bunch of blue turtles. She's like, what the fuck is blue turtle? What <laughs> <laughs> fuckers keep texting me it's like it's blue turtle? Hey, honey, do you know what blue turtle means? <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Well, blue turtle, hashtag Steve Dave 5509 voicemail. You get the super special secret stopper. All kinds of good stuff happens. <laughs> Anyway, check me out on Patreon. I'd love to have all you guys, especially Alex, as subscribers. Throw in a few bucks. You'll get the awesome audio, all kinds of good things. And uh, that's where we're going with this. That's that's the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. Watch the video, check it out. It's your boy.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Seth. Thank uh, you. It.
0: Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate
1: it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good night, man.
2: Thanks. You're listening to Seth Harwood. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. What if Michael Jordan played one secret pickup game in summer 1996? To pay off a debt so big, it would get him banned from the NBA for life. What if that game was played on a private court in Malta, and Jordan's parting gift for the king was a jewel-encrusted pair of Jordan 11s? A pair of kicks so special and rare that they could be worth millions, if they actually exist. Follow Jack Palms on a hunt from San Francisco to Hawaii and back across the country to New York City as he tracks the only person who knows the truth about these sneakers, a felon who just skipped his bond to chase them. The mythical pair of sneakers that can only go by one name. In the vein of Elmore Leonard and Carl Hyacin, Seth Harwood presents his next novel. The Maltese Jordans. Subscribe today at Patreon.com/slash Seth Harwood. Yeah, about to give what you need, you Check it out now. It's the type to